0: I wanted our kids to know how to compete and have a level of toughness about them. That I truly felt when they're 25 and 30 years old and they're in the real world, that, that that's going to help them. Some people disagree with that, but that was just our philosophy. That, that level of toughness, commitment, that willingness to kind of sacrifice for your team, all those things I think turned into a really well-rounded kid.
1: The Holding Court Podcast is powered by Fundraising University Ohio. Fundraising University Ohio offers a variety of fundraising efforts that help basketball teams run profitable, effective, and fast-paced fundraisers designed to raise the most money in the shortest amount of time to reach their fundraising goals. Fundraising University Ohio is locally owned and operated, and with their six-step blitz system, will help your team maximize profits. As a former basketball coach himself, Brent Maxwell will sit down and help you pick, plan, strategize, and execute your fundraiser, which will allow you as a coach to devote more time to the other aspects of your program. If you're looking to take your fundraising efforts to the next level, contact Brent Maxwell at bmaxwell at fundraisingu.net or 740-501-8946 to learn more. Welcome to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Join hosts Adam Hall and Walt Serrato as they sit down with some of the biggest names in Ohio high school basketball and beyond. This show and all of our shows are available to listen to completely free anywhere that you can find podcasts. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get to it.
2: Hello, it's Adam Hall here with my co-host Walt Serrato. And We are excited to be joined by Dave Schlebaugh, former head girls basketball coach at Highland High School. Coach, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. Hey, great to be here. So, Coach, let's jump right into it and talk about your experiences playing for legendary high school basketball coach Charlie Huggins. Obviously, we would love for you to share a few stories with our listeners about Coach Huggins, but more importantly, what were some key takeaways from your time playing for coach at Highland High School?
0: Yeah, I'd have a lot of stories to tell as anybody would have played for uh, for Charlie, but I absolutely enjoyed it. Not everybody did, even kids on our team. I can remember, um, you know, some a lot had had a hard time. I I lo- I, lo- I loved the win. I knew Charlie was going to help us win. He was at Highland for two years, my junior and senior year. You know, a lot of you guys you know, know Bobby and been to his practices. Well, just take that and magnify that because Charlie was a lot tougher than Bobby. Every rumor is true. Three-hour practices, you know, his attention to detail was, was unbelievable. Um, you know, it's funny because as a point guard, he expected me to play 32 minutes and have zero turnovers. So if I turn it over, I came out. So eventually I like to play. So I just figured out how to never turn the ball over, you know? And so his expectation level was great. And probably the thing I learned most from him, was I, I'm going to say was probably... He was big on rolls. I love telling the story about uh, we played Trinity Christian out at Canton. Packed gym at Highland, uh, Old Hawks Nest. They were huge. They were state ranked. We had no business on the floor. We end up winning the game. I never shot the ball all year, but it just so happened. They're in this long 2-3 zone. I, I hit like five bombs. First time I scored double figures my entire career. Feeling great. We win the game. I come in the next morning. Putting my uh, code in the in the locker, Coach Huggins. He opens up his door. He's got his coach's office in the locker room. He looks out and says, "Hey, Dave, nice game." Well, I mean, that was the first ever, but then he follows that with, "But I just watched the film. Every shot you took was out of your range. Don't ever shoot him again." Shooter shot, passers passed, rebounders rebounded, defenders defended. You know that was Coach Huggins. But I learned a lot from him.
3: So, Coach, you graduate from Highland, 1984. And then you attended what was, at the time, Malone College. You played for another coaching legend, Hal Smith. Uh, If you can, spend a few minutes, talk to us about that experience, maybe share some lessons you learned along the way that you feel benefited you personally and professionally after you graduated in 1988.
0: You know, I appreciate it, Coach Smith. Um, You don't score a lot in high school, you're probably not going to get recruited a lot, right? So, but... um, uh, he had a spot for me on the team, um, and I got to keep playing a game that I love to play. You know, I wasn't a great player. I didn't get a ton of minutes. By my senior year, I was in a leadership role. I got a chance to to be on a team. You know, I think it's something that I learned, and so that's sometimes why I get disappointed with kids today. If they're, you know, if they're not a star by their sophomore year in girls basketball, they're quitting. We were fortunate enough at Highland to have a lot of kids who were willing to, you know, sacrifice, be a part of a team, you know, be a le- have a leadership role without having a lot of menace, and, and I think that's what I did at Malone. I think that's gradually dwindling everywhere, but it that definitely allowed me to to, to keep playing. I knew I wanted to coach. It had been hard to get into coaching if I wouldn't have had a chance to play at the college level. Um, but great friends, and yeah, Coach Smith treated me very well.
3: So, Coach, fill in that four year gap for us uh, between graduating from Malone and then being named the head girls basketball coach at Highland in 1992. Were there any opportunities you were taking advantage of to help prepare yourself to be a head coach? Yeah,
0: it was interesting. I graduated from college. I went and talked to our um, Highland Athletic Director at the time. It was Colin Mishler. I remember walking into his office. I said, hey, uh, Colin. I just want to coach. You know, whatever you got, I'll help out anything. And I, I was thinking boys basketball. Yeah, you know, it wasn't didn't even enter my mind that. And he said, "Well, we need a seventh and eighth grade girls coach. If you want to coach, you can take that." So I was the seventh and eighth grade coach that first year out of college. Great wake up call to to having to teach the game and the sk- and skill level and so forth. And and then the following year, I was the uh, JV coach uh, for two years under Ora Shetler, and then. Uh, he left and uh, things worked out. And, and I was young, unexperienced, looked back thinking, I, I look back and, you know, I learned a lot, you know, from there. And But I appreciate the opportunity our, our administration gave us at the time. They And Ka- Coach Reese kind of set that tone at Highland. I know maybe you guys want to talk about him later, but he expected his administration to trust him. And so then that poured over into other programs. And so it was just kind of taken for granted that our administration really gave us a lot of
2: leeway. So Dave, in in 1992, you were named the head girls basketball coach at Highland. Uh, After winning your sixth state championship as a coach in 2021, you were quoted as saying, I remember when I started, I said I did not want to be the type of program that just waits around for one good class every now and then. I wanted to be a program that could knock on the door every year For a trip to the state tournament coach how did you go about laying that foundation for future success when you first took over at highland and what were the core tenets that you tried to build your program on
0: i think about this question people ask all the time And, and you know for for us from day one it was it was skill development we felt that if we could dribble pass and shoot better than everybody else then that we had a chance some years you got athletes some years you got numbers but we just completely sold out to skill development. You know, when coaches ask me, "Hey, you know, what was the difference?" Why well, I always start with one thing. That's our gym rack clubs. Adam, I know you've I've talked to you about those before. And we thought they were long term. You know, we had a elementary gym rack club, the junior high gym rack club, and a high school gym rack club. We taught our kids, you know, how to work out. We we did that. And that so we felt like our our skill development was was in touch. And then I always felt like we added in. Charlie's defense and discipline. And then we threw in Coach Reese's ability to motivate um, along with his freedom of offense. And so that's how I always feel like that's our program.
2: So, Coach, as you're taking over this program at Highland, and I know there was a, a little bit of success prior to you taking over, but how important was it for you to get buy in from not only the parents, but the entire Highland community? You know, you're coming in with high expectations. In a vision for a program that had experienced a little bit of success, but not to the level that you were thinking. How did you go about selling that vision and getting all the stakeholders on board?
0: You know, obviously after you win, it's easy to get buy-in, right? I mean, you know, Coach Reese, you know, had that. And so my first six years, we got beat in the district finals. Five of those years by Zanesville Rosecrans, who went on to state championships we used to get beat by them in the district finals devastating losses overtimes last second shots then we go down to columbus and watch them win a state championship by 30 and um you know early on i you pout about it and then we just finally decided we weren't working hard enough that there was another level for us and um it was about that time that i got a group of kids in that we committed and we uh so imagine this we had we had open gym that next summer at 6 a.m. for the entire summer, this is high school girls, 6 a.m., open gym. Like so By the time most kids were getting up for breakfast, we had already gotten two hours in. And, you know, it just, we committed so much that, that year. And it was just, you know, when you work that hard, we always say it's just harder to surrender. And that's what happened. Then we finally got Rosecrans that following year, and then they were
3: done after that. So,
0: you know, it uh, I think probably had it not been so difficult those first few years, we may not have figured out how hard it takes to win.
3: Yeah, coaching and Figuring, like you just said, figuring out that sacrifice and the hard work and what goes on behind closed doors that a lot of people might take for granted, finally get over the hump in 2000. Your team goes 28 and 0. You won your first of six state championships at Highland. Um, you know, like you just said, the, coming up short in the district title game. You know those heartbreaking moments that that added fuel to the fire. Um, take us on a quick journey through that 2000 season and maybe share with some of our listeners what made that team special and able to accomplish something that had never happened before at Highland. Well,
0: in 1997, that, that group they were freshmen, and that's when our, that was our first trip to Columbus, and then we got back there in '99, got beat in the state semis, they were juniors. And it was, it was a phenomenal class. It was five, actually seven seniors, five went on to play college basketball. Um, We had the player of the year, Erin Hosteller. She was a six, two guard could shoot the lights out. And um, it was, it was a great mix of kids. You know, she was the one who decided early on that she wanted to win a state championship and she, she turned into the best player in the state. She ended up going to Cincinnati, but we had another post kid, Jill Yoder. And then I, and then I just had scrappy guards that were tough. They were hard nosed and they just willed it. I mean, we didn't get tested all year. Um, And so it was a phenomenal group. A lot of people would say, and I would agree, it's it's my 2000 team. And then it was my final year coaching team that were my best two teams. And they like to argue a little bit about who might be better, but they were both phenomenal. Both had players of the years, both had great post players and both had great point guards and shooters. So yeah, when you got when you got horses like that, you should win it. And uh, that that was a phenomenal group. And then that really springboarded us, you know, for the next twenty years into to the success that we had.
2: So, coach, let's talk a little bit about that success. You know, in two thousand and five, your program started an impressive four year run in which your teams had a combined record of one hundred and two wins versus eight losses. You won the state championship three out of those four years, and you finished ranked in the top five of the AP poll all four years as well. Talk about some of the key players you had during that run and the intangibles that they brought to those teams.
0: Yeah, it was an unbelievable group of kids and assistant coaches. So not only did the year we lost in there, and then the three years following that, we lost four state championships in the state finals. We felt we could have won eight or nine in a row there. Afrocentric, we played them four or five times in the state finals, and it was just unbelievable commitment by our group. But so in, in 2005, um, some of you guys might remember, I, I had twins, Leah and Lana Hostetler. They both went to play on to play at Valparaiso. Had phenomenal careers. Lana went on. She was my point guard. She played overseas for a number of years. What's kind of amazing, too, in those four... So in those eight years, I think I had six or seven state players of the year. And I had one post player in that group, but everybody else was just a highly skilled level uh, guard, shooting guard. We had uh, Lindsey Stookie, I'll throw some names out in case any of you uh, know. And then Jenna Stutzman, many would say maybe she was one of our best players. She played at, at Kent State and then, and then Ashland. And just an unbelievable group of talented kids. But I love that they... I like watching good basketball. I like kids that can dribble, pass, and shoot. Granted, we like them to play hard, but you know, girls' basketball is not fun to watch if you can't do those things. And these kids just made it fun. Scored a lot of points. We went up and down. I think we have like 15 of the top 20 state season records for three-point makes. You know, we like to fire it up there, and if you don't get it, you go rebound it. But yeah, it was just a great group of people. And we, you know, the year we lost in the middle of that, our best player uh, Jen Stutzman didn't play a minute that year because of um, a lower back injury. So, and everybody's got injuries, you know, to talk about, but we've had some tough ones too, but no, great, great run. Appreciated
2: those kids a bunch. So coach, we've all heard the saying that good is, is the enemy of great. Uh, During that magical four-year run, how did you fight off complacency amongst your players uh, and even your staff and not allow them to have that, Hey, we've arrived mentality, but instead staying humble staying hungry, staying driven?
0: I mean, number one, that's my, I mean, it, that's, that's me. If if I allow any of that stuff to creep into me, then it's going to creep into our players. And I just, me and Coach Reese, we, we used to talk about time like, we felt it was important for our kids to get rewarded for their efforts. And we wanted every class. My number one goal is that every year my seniors got to play in Columbus. You know, so that was the goal that our that our senior class got to play in Columbus. So that just kept us really motivated. Right or wrong, I always, I ran our program for the kid that wanted it all. The kid that wanted to win a state championship or the kid that wanted to go to, to, to play college ball. You know, sometimes I feel like people dumb down their programs to keep more players out or to... Um, you know, make everybody happy. We always felt like I wasn't going to cheat the one kid who wanted it all, that wanted to be pushed, that wanted to, to win a state, have a shot at a state championship, and who maybe wanted to play college basketball. And so that's where we or where we catered our program to. And I always told our parents, you know, that doesn't mean you got to do it all. I mean, if I have, if you don't want to show up to open gym, that's up to you. If you don't want to come to lifting, that's up to you. We're, we're going to roll the ball out in November and best players play. But we weren't going to cheat you know, the kids that wanted it all. And we had a lot of those kids.
2: So coach, I just want to piggyback off something you just said, because, you know, right now, if you look at the numbers, not just in the state of Ohio, but across the nation, uh, participation in, in girls basketball is declining. We all know that and various reasons for that. There's been years recently where you've played with 11 kids. You, you've you played with 13 kids and and people, you hear the comments like, and I know, I know you've heard this before, like, oh man, it's just too hard. They're just it's just too hard out there, you know. They're just driving kids away, like they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna ruin the program out there, you know. They're not gonna have a program in a couple of years. But what you just said was is you weren't dumbing it down. You you wanted to put a program in place um that was for the kid that that wanted it all and, and you stuck to your guns and it served you well for the past thirty years. So I guess is it in order to do that, I guess, because Highland's a different place. It's it's a different community, is having that parent support, that administrative backing, did it make it easier for you to build that program essentially how you wanted to?
0: Without a doubt. And I you know, Brady I think's got nine kids this year. Now we're finally got some, you know, we got some good junior high numbers coming again. And so some things do cycle. But I always said if you can't win at Highland, you can't win anywhere. I mean, I, I truly feel that. I mean, so I don't think it's anything that I mean we're all working, but you know, I'm sure we make a lot of mistakes. And, and I'm sure I never said I thought I knew it all. Coach Reese, another thing we talked about is, hey, you know, we, we don't know it all, but if we just outwork everybody, maybe maybe that'll be enough. And so when kids graduate, and I look him in the eye in that, in that last locker room, man, I have to know that we did all – everything we could possibly do for that senior. I mean, that's what I got to live with. And so, you know, to dummy it down and then to get beaten in the regional final by 4 points because you don't have any depth because you didn't want, you know, want to push kids a little bit or something. Yeah, I, I just I didn't I didn't want to do that to the kids that actually, you know, loved it. And so, I do wish we could, you know, get that middle of the road kid to stay out that just wants to be a part of a team and doesn't want to play college ball and 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 but it's just you know, ever, especially, too, since COVID, I mean, kids have just found more things to do that they think matter more. And um, and I and, and I've, you know, I guess I'm allowed to get on a soapbox. So I'm not coaching anymore. But um, I, I think it's different for parents, too. You know, for 25 years, probably, we had parents that just said, you know, hey, if you're in Coach Leibon's program, you're going to end up a pretty good person. You know, you're going to you're going to know how to work hard. You're going to know how to be respectful. You're going to know how to show up to a job on time that's a little body missing in today's environment. Parents aren't so likely to to say that anymore.
3: So coach, you mentioned him briefly, and we want to talk about him some more here. Uh, coach Reese, um, for some of our listeners who might not know about Perry Reese Jr., he was at Highland on the boys' side for 16 years. Um, he compiled a record of 304 and 85, reached the final four five times, won one state title, uh, Division Four, in 1992. You know, his impact went far beyond just the court at Highland, um, but the community as a whole. And there was actually a Sports Illustrated article written um, called Higher Education by Gary Smith in 2014. Take us through those years spent with Coach Reese, impact he had on you, not only as a basketball coach, but as a person. And as that article stated, that, that Sports Illustrated article, talk about how Coach Reese was able to change the community's ideas about race and about life.
0: I wish everybody could have been around. I mean, you know, from the outside, people come to a game, they see, you know, Coach Reese probably screaming and yelling, you know, maybe grabbing a kid a little bit, pointing his finger in his face, you know, and they and they leave there, and they, they have a perception of Coach Reese, but it's nothing about what Coach Reese was about, you know, you know, his players, they probably respected and cared for Coach Reese as much or more than their own father, you know, Coach Reese was, was successful for a lot of reasons, and one of the biggest ones was his players wanted to win for him more than anything else and when you get Rick Pitino said this once at a clinic, when you get players who want to win for their coach man that level of motivation is that's incredible and so and it just you know coach Reese was so genuine that and we have we have a good community and it's not perfect by any means but for the most part like people like only black man in our county and like for the most part, people just immediately latched on to him because he, he was just—you know—he's a guy that cared about kids. You know, he, that was his basketball team was his own family. That's why he never got married. He just—he didn't have the time. The respect level—you know, my my son Brady, who's a coach, his, his middle name is Reese. There's well over a hundred Reeses in our community now. They're everywhere. You know, he was—I don't know how many weddings he was in. It was like seventy something. So, you know, he, he was very well respected. But man, I love to watch him coach too. I mean, I used to come to practices and just sit there. And besides developing a relationship with kids and making them play really, really hard, you had a you know, he just gave them so much freedom. If you think you can make a shot, then I think you can make a shot. I've said that 10,000 times and it, and it was right from Coach Reese, but giving them that freedom to go make plays. And, and then it was the, off. Yeah, it's funny, I always joke with my wife, she doesn't always like to hear it, but it's like three of my top five experiences of all time happened with Coach Reese that, Really, she doesn't even know, (laughs) you know, was going in college, him taking five of us to Chicago and going to a blues bar for the first time. I mean, got us out of our comfort zone, took us to places that we never would have gone otherwise. And that wasn't just me. That was a 100 other kids and players. And he was Charlie's assistant my senior year. I mean, what a what a mix. I mean, you know, you're talking, you know, two two legends there that I got to play under in, in in the same year, and and he really, you know, Charlie really set it up then for for Coach Reese to get that year that job the next year, and then he had Keith Troyer and my brother Tim, you know, and they made and they they went on a run, and you know, there's, hopefully we, we keep hearing uh, that the Hollywood producer has called numerous times in the last six months. The thing is is rolling, and they they've actually. Um, had a script approved. They've had a, an actor approved for uh, for Coach Reese. And the guys accepted it as a big name. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping they tell the story, but I hope they tell it right um, because he was a huge influence. And, and even today, I think the success, it, it absolutely has carried on because of him. You know, it's it's how our administration looks at athletics, and and how we don't take it for granted, but they give us the freedom to coach, and and uh, and he he taught us it's okay to want to win, it's okay to compete, and to try and win, and to to outwork your opponent, and and uh, he had a
2: lot to do with that. So, coach, let's talk about your last two state championships in 2017 and 2021. I would have to imagine those two were extra special, given the fact that you got to share that moment with your daughters. Your oldest daughter, Kennedy, played on the 2017 team, and your youngest, Gabby, was on the 2021 team. You made a comment after the 2021 state championship in which you said, there are two things I love being called, and that is coach and dad, and, and that really resonated with me being a father of of three young girls myself. But you know, with me having daughters, I know you and I have had conversations about coaching your own kid. And you've shared with me that it's been the highlight of your career. How did you balance those two roles with your daughters? And what advice would you give to coaches who are currently in that situation? Because from firsthand experience, yeah, it's rewarding, but it's really hard to do as well.
0: I think it's easier if, for example, I coached for 25 years or somewhere, I don't know the exact number, before I had my daughter playing for me. I think it's tough when you know, some coaches, they coach at their first year, they're, you know, they're, they're coaching their daughter for whatever reason. And I think it's, it, it's a big help if you're already, you know, coaching you and know, my kids, and I love it that they did this. And hopefully I didn't force them to do this because it seemed like they'd enjoyed it, but they, they just came to the gym with me. I mean, Brady was sitting on the bench with me when he was three or four years old. I mean, every game, every locker room, loving it on the bus, you know, and then, you know, Kennedy and Gabby, same thing. I mean, they, they came to the gym, they were with the kids, they they just saw how the process, you know, how how dad's yelling a little bit, but that doesn't mean dad hates his players, you know, and so I absolutely loved that experience and really glad that that I had it. You know, the best five seconds of my entire thirty-three years of coaching were Kennedy's shot in the state, you know, semifinal and, and that was worth it all. And but I love coaching Gabby as well and, and and then being a part of it with Brady and I'm sure it wasn't perfect. You know, I like to say that I came home and left it all on the court and never took it back home, but I never did that. Even when I didn't coach my kids, you know, my my wife would attest to that, but we tried hard and it was, it was a connecting bond for, for me and my, my kids. You know, we, um, uh, I'm glad they enjoyed it. At least it seemed like it because they all kept doing it and so forth, but, um, absolutely loved, yeah every minute of it and hope it works out for for dads who get to coach their daughters.
2: Um, But you definitely, it's it's not, I'm sure it's it's not easy. Well, coach, I had the opportunity to talk to your two daughters and this is what they said about playing for you. (laughs) So Gabby (laughs) said to get to play for my dad was the best experience of my life. Over the years, I learned so much more than the game of basketball. I learned that nothing comes easy and no one is going to hand you anything. If you want something, you have to work for it. Getting a ring senior year was a cherry on top and an amazing moment to share with my dad. Kennedy said, playing for my dad was some of the best four years of my life. Certain moments that I look back on will always be some of the best times we've had together. He helped me fall in love with the game, even while pushing me to be the best every day. It wasn't always easy, but it was easy to show up every day when you have a coach like him. His influence went beyond the game of basketball, and I think that's what helped make him one of the best to ever do it. So I think you did something, right, Coach?
0: I appreciate that. That's great to hear. Thanks.
2: So coach, after that 2021 season, I know you kind of had it planned out. That was kind of going to be the end for Dave Schleybaugh. I, I, I don't think it was a, a big secret to anybody. There was chatter for a while that, Hey, this, this might be the end. It, it was Gabby's senior year. I guess, was it the fact that it, it was Gabby's senior year? Your kids had kind of, kind of gone through it then. Kennedy, I know, was in college pre- playing. Brady was getting ready to start that next chapter in his life. Was it just as simple as that, or were there other reasons that led to that decision? And then when you look back on your career at Highland, what are you most proud of?
0: I knew it was going to be tough to to give it up. And so for me, I needed to put a four or five year plan in place. And for me, it took me that long to say, this is this is going to be my last group and um i had a phenomenal uh assistant with me koozie who also committed to sticking with me till the till i'm done you know and and he was with me for 22 years absolutely incredible and, and and other coaches as well but they we all committed to at least seeing this thing through for that particular class and and just like that 2000 class to you know, that two 2021 class I had six seniors Five full ride kids. Player of the year in Zoe Miller go, goes to Bowling Green. You know the the other four kids, all Division two full ride kids. It was a special group. I think Gabby's class. We started them in A U in third grade. You know, and just we, we came all the way up through with them. We spent a lot of time. We invested in them, and they they just absolutely loved it. And so it was a they made it easy. There was no regrets at the end. I mean, it was for me and the, the finish you know with the state championship and and have that you know, kind of no regret at the end was, was awesome. And as far as, you know, what, look back on a career, what, what am I most proud of? Your first question night was part of this. and That's, I'm glad we were, we were consistent year in, year out. Like we would start every year. We, our only question is, well, what, how do we get to Columbus? Like what, what, you know, we like to go up and down, but some years we can't, some years we got to change it up. Some, you know, we like to play 10 kids a quarter or well, some, you know, so, we just tried to figure it out every year, and um, as long as we could get our kids to believe, you know, believe in what we were doing. We had 50 college players in my 30 years. I felt good about that because financially, huge for our, our families, but also more so, it got a lot of my kids, for the most part, to play another four years of something that they really, really enjoyed doing. And so we, you know, is one reason why we started the Classic in the country. We wanted to make sure our kids got exposure and got a chance to play at the next level if they wanted to. But I also, and once again, you know, maybe maybe this is wrong because I I got some heat at times, but I wanted our kids to know how to compete and have a level of toughness about them because I truly felt when they're 25 and 30 years old and they're in the real world that that, that's going to help them. Some people disagree with that, but that was just our philosophy that that level of toughness, commitment, that willingness to kind of sacrifice for your team, all those things I think turned into a really well rounded kid. And I could talk about, 50 of my players that are doctors and lawyers and business owners and just I could go on forever. And and I love to hear back from them when they call and say, hey, you know, Coach, we appreciate, you know, that wasn't easy. And uh, there's a lot of easy out there in this world. We didn't want to be the easy. We wanted to be a little bit tougher. And so I think our kids, they do leave Highland with a level of toughness that I hope helps them in the long run.
2: So, Coach, how hard – I guess when you decide to step down and you're no longer the coach at Highland, you know, people can say, you know, coaching, it's like a family and it's a family affair. Well, for you, it, it truly is a family affair. I mean, your brother's head boys coach. I mean, your wife's been by your side this whole time. Your kids have grown up around the program. Your dad, who never missed a game. Like, how difficult was it just for your family when they learned that, hey, this is it?
0: You know, when I was sitting on the bench at Malone, my dad was still driving to Cedarville to watch a game. You know, as far as I know, 33 years, never missed one of my games. I mean, ever. Loved it that I could walk off. The, and a lot of times he'd be in that corner over there and he'd give me a fist bump on the way out, you know. And so, you know, you always want your dad to feel proud, you know, what you're doing. And, and it was, yeah, obviously tough on our, our family a little bit with, with time and so forth. You know, my wife sacrificed a lot. She she does she's a great businesswoman. It was nice, you know, when we when I did finish because I, you know, I thought I was gonna miss it a lot. And there was things that I missed, but I it was it gave me a chance to help her and dig into what she was doing, and, and I'm excited for her, and then even to to help out with Brady a little bit. But no, it was uh definitely a family situation that I enjoyed. I mean, just, and yeah, I learned a lot from Mark my last ten years. You know, everybody would think, well, Mark's younger. Yeah, no, I mean Mark's an unbelievable coach i'd come into practice early every single day and it was like a clinic and i would write down things and i'd ask him a couple questions and i'd be putting in the same drill practice you know so i have a tremendous amount of respect for for what he does how hard he pushes his players topest level they got it going on and um i learned a lot my last 10 years uh being in St. same gym with Mark.
3: so coach you have alluded to it here uh, our next question Surrounding yourself with the right people is so crucial to having success. You know, throughout your career at Highland, you know, individuals like Coozy like you mentioned, um, Rob Moser, Deb Hirschberger, Michelle Mishler, Nick McMillan—I mean, all staples of your staff—and on the sidelines with you, And they play a vital role in the success that you had as as assistant coaches. You know, when you're putting together a staff or filling a vacant position, you know, what are two or three things you look for from individuals to determine whether or not they'd be a good fit for your program?
0: You know, I really think that's where we probably started to make our strides. You know, Kuzi likes to say it. Me and him have a saying, you win with people. 22 years I had him and the people you mentioned, Rob Mosier, Deb Hershberger, Michelle, and, and Mishler and Nick mcmillan are all, all filled an unbelievable role. And, you know, my first, I think four years I got rid of coaches every year. I'd have a junior high coach. that I'd tell them, hey, you're not out of play any zones. We don't care if you win or lose. You're playing half-court man. I'd show up to a game. They'd be playing zone. Well, I just got rid of them because if, they, if I, I had to trust them, and you had it so for my junior high coaches, and I found some. I found a couple guys that just – they bought in, they, and they just fed our high school program for 10 straight years. Chad Hosteller, Jay Custer, um, and Kuzi. And they just, you know, they worked on skill level. They worked on the defense that we wanted. And then for like 10 straight years, I had a freshman start for me. And it was because of what those guys did for us in the junior high. Um, and Rob Mosier was down there for four or five years. But they committed. And you know, right now, Mark's got a couple of junior high coaches that are former players of mine who are doing phenomenal. And so it won't be long until they start to, you know, Michelle is helping down there and then Kim Mass, which is now Kim Wagler. And so, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you you got to find people that will buy into you. And so you, number one, got to be the hardest working coach, you know, out there. You can't ask your coaches to work hard if you're not going to, you know, be the top guy. And then just believe in the values. I mean, it's not about getting paid. and It's not, in, in junior high, it's not about winning. You know, I mean, I think there was a time when we didn't win the junior high league for like 10 straight years, but in the meantime, we hadn't lost a game in the high school in, in that same league for 15 years. You know, we, we always say, you know, we're willing to lose the battle to win the war, and so um, you can win in junior high a lot of ways if you want to, but you're not teaching your kids, you're not developing depth, etc. So, but no, I, you know, I, I want coaches that are willing to, to learn and to teach the same things. I want coaches that are willing to get in the gym and, and you know, teach fundamentals, and, and we have a specific Criteria that they have to teach in junior high and JV teams and so forth, and we just want them to buy in, and we and then we want them to care about the kids that they're coaching. Yeah, if I miss a, every one of those guys, you know, you guys know how this is. You you hang around your assistant coaches for four hours a day, not for nine months, and now all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you very rarely see them. But there was definitely a connection. All those people you named would have been phenomenal varsity basketball coaches, every single one of them. But for whatever reason, they decided to stick around with me and and have run at a good program.
3: So, Coach, over the, the, the 22 years that you mentioned, like with being with Koozie and your other outstanding assistant coaches, you know, what are some ways you utilize that staff that you found to be most effective, not only just for your program, but for you as an individual? Because you know, I, I think as, as coaches, sometimes the challenge of delegating and, and kind of relinquishing some of that control and trusting those people we have around us. You know, what are some ways you did that?
0: You know, I think it's huge, and I've actually seen coaches fail because they just want to control it all. The best way to get your assistants to buy in is to truly give them responsibilities. So Rob Mosier was my was my shooting coach, and you know, Coach Reese had a philosophy that so whether he had an hour practice or a two hour practice, you got twenty minutes of shooting in. If you want your kids to shoot and be able to knock down a shot, you got to give them chances to shoot the basketball. So. So Rob had that 20 minutes, and I let him plan it. And then my last year of coaching, Jason Mishler, he was my 20 minute guy. He was phenomenal. You know, Koozie handled my ball handling. Deb Hirschberger, her only job was to watch kids if if they weren't checking out, she was sticking them on the on the sideline to to run and during games. I would have my each one of my coaches would have a responsibility. You know, whether it's kids come out of the game, they they go down the line, and then they then they sit by a particular you know post player, sit by a post coach, guards sit by a guard coach. But they talk, you know, they talk to their kids. I also want them, yeah, I talked about this at a clinic the other day, you know, if Kuzi comes up with a play in a game that he thinks I should run, and I've, this happened a lot, in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, no way is that a good play right now. That makes no sense. 100% of the time, I'm running that play. And half the time, he's right anyways, Okay. But the first time that you shut that coach down, you're never going to get them again to one be thinking for you, but then also have the have the guts and the I don't know the confidence to talk to you. I mean, every single time a coach they they give me a suggestion, man, I'm I'm going for it and I'm gonna trust that my coaches are gonna see things that I don't always see during that game. Cause you can only see so much. Half the time we're yelling at officials, half the time we're yelling at a player, and so they
2: they see things and you gotta give them responsibilities. You're right when you say that because you've got to give them responsibilities. You, you've got to empower them a little bit make them have some ownership in it otherwise it's tough for you to do it on your own i mean it's just hard
0: a good example so for every i'm I'm gonna make some of it but for every quality opponent and for every tournament opponent we're putting in at least 10 hours of film work at least now it's not all me you know so kuz we gave him one of the tournament opponents last year even though he wasn't coaching and he probably spent 10 hours himself watching that opponent scouting report suggestions i mean we're spending a tremendous amount of film work and we're dividing that responsibility out amongst coaches. And so, yeah, if Kuz is telling me something about what they, the set that, you know, Brady called the last play in the regional finals. I mean, he, he knew what they were going to run and, and because of all the film work. And so I think everybody who depend on who's watching what, you know, I, I think it's really important if you're going to ask those coaches to spend the time watching film, then man, praise them in front of your players. Kuz just ran down three hours. We had eight films on a team, but we wanted to go see them live. So Kuz goes down and runs. You know, goes three hours and goes watches them. And comes back with maybe something that we hadn't saw on tape. So yeah, you know, good coaches are hard to find, and when you get them, man, you gotta you gotta reward them.
2: So coach, let's spend a little bit of time talking about practice. Your philosophy on practice over the years. I know, changed, especially toward the end of your career and how you approached practices. And it's not necessarily that you were doing anything wrong early on in your career, but like all of us, you know, we're, we're molded by the people that have coached us or the people that we have coached under. So, where early on, maybe your practices might have looked like a Charlie Huggins in the amount of time you spent on the floor, you kind of changed your philosophy on that. So, just kind of take us through the evolution of how that philosophy's changed and how you feel as though it benefited your teams later on. Yeah.
0: And I think this is one of those times when I, I just trusted somebody else. Finally, you know um, yeah. You come out of college, you think, man, I'm just going to outwork everybody. And you run a Charlie Huggins practice, you know, for three hours for about four days and you got not a good result. And so, you know, Deb Hershberger coached with me early on there. She was a great player at, for Jeff Savanis at Garway And she finally said, and she was, I loved her because she was always honest with me. Never told me what i wanted to hear just what I needed to hear. And she said, coach, you know, and maybe this is wrong or right on it. said, coach, she goes, you know, guys can have a hard practice. And next day, they're right or roll. You know, girls need more than 24 hours to recoup from the type of practice that you run. And so I took that to heart. I mean, for the next 28 years, I, we've never had contact on a day before a game. So we, we don't scrimmage day before a game, ever. I mean, um, we'll do fundamentals. We'll do scouting report. We'll do a ton of shooting. And day before a game, we're 45 minutes to an hour. I mean realistically, if you run a two hour, what, what are you going to accomplish in those two hours? Yeah it's you know as far as going up and down. Now guys are it's, it's just different. but for girls, I mean, so I wanted them to have fresh legs. I want us to be healthy. I mean we'd go 45 minutes to an hour, max, we're hitting the cold tub, we're having team meal they're home and you know we had curfew uh, day before a game. And so as far as you know during the season would start, we started, we'd probably started a two hour practice. We'd be quickly down to an hour and 45 minutes, you know, close to the first game of the season. Uh, after Christmas break, we were an hour and 15 minutes. And come tournament time, I mean, I know people would be surprised, but I mean, we're in the gym an hour at the most. Kids might hang around, get extra shots up. But, you know, it was all about being fresh and legs and injury prevention. And, and you know, as long as we go to – I mean, we're, our kids worked hard. We got a hard pre- – you know, a lot you know, a lot of our kids don't play a fall sport. So you got preseason and you got, you got the hardest, you know – one of the hardest sports for girls basketball that there is and so we just had we, we adjusted and I think it paid off I I look at some of these college programs going you know they're practicing the day of a game in the morning I'm like what are you doing It's so um I just really feel like you know legs and injury prevention uh, we, we changed a lot after those first couple of years
2: coach your practices did you ever practice against guys and if so How did you handle those situations? How did you set that up in practice?
0: Yeah, we did um, almost every day. There'd always be five or six boys roaming the halls. Maybe they used to play for Mark. That were good kids, just weren't playing anymore. That we would bring in, and we, uh, I'd always have a talk with them early on that you know appreciated them being there, but it wasn't about them. We're gonna give them something to do. and we're going to give you a, an offense to run or a, a type of person to play like. But um, how many block shots you get up off our kids on the break isn't going to be necessarily important. So, but it was huge. I mean, I really think it was a lot of the difference was our ability to go against the guys for sure.
3: Okay, coach. So now that we've covered kind of the in-season routine, let's talk about the off-season program, which, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I would say is definitely where you guys got your separation. And You talked about the skills that you wanted to hit on uh, so hard. When you started things off, take us through a typical off season at Highland. You know, starting with those exit interviews, those first couple days after the season's over, what those look like. Going through the fall, leading up to when we're ready to start practice.
0: I think it's crucial that you do them quickly. Maybe we made it to Columbus. We'd be coming home on the bus, and I'd have them sign a sheet for you know when they were coming in. You know, that was a Sunday, and by Tuesday, Wednesday, we want to have all our our exit meetings done. You got to you got to do it early. And in that exit meeting, we would give them something that they would fill out some things for them themselves to think about. How did they think the season went? You know, what were some of the disappointments? What are some of their goals for next year? Where do they, you know, and, you know, so we have 10 traits in our locker room on the wall. And number one trait for us is honesty. And so we we, we tell our kids all the time that we're going to be honest with them. That's one thing they, they know is going to happen. And so in that meeting, I also want them to be honest with me. And so I'm okay. And hopefully I, I encourage them to try and, you know, Tell, tell us what you didn't like. What were, what were did you feel you didn't get treated you know right with your playing time? This is your time to to tell us what you think. And and then the other big thing then is I want to hear what their goals are. So. If they tell me they, they want to be a college player and they can't dribble or shoot, I'm going to tell them what they're going to have to do in order to, to make that happen. And then if they, then I ask them, are you, are you going to be okay if I, I'm going to keep you accountable to this particular goal? And so if you're not, just make sure that this is the goal that you want. And if it is, that's great because I'm going to help you get there. And so I always thought that that meeting was huge. And then May 1st, every year, we would give them their their notebooks. So junior high, high school, and, and elementary school, they got their gym rack clubs. And, you know, one out of 100 kids is going to be that kid that doesn't need to be motivated, pushed, or told what to do. But the other 99, I mean, I, and I've had some of them. I've had a lot of those ones. I have. But But those other 99, they probably... They just need some help. They need to be motivated a little bit. They need to be told what to do, how to work out, how to use their time. One part of our gym rat goals. well, I can just tell you what they were. So it was our Above and Beyond Club was 40,000 shots, 40 hours of ball handling, and 100 games of one-on-one. And I think people get surprised on the one-on-one because you, know, you put two boys in the gym, any gym, and within five minutes, they're playing one-on-one. You put two girls in the gym, they're never playing one-on-one. You know, and so it's huge for girls. It's huge. And so my best teams were the kids that got into those one-on-one games. They competed against each other. They got mad when they lost. You know, they wanted to play the coach. They wanted to play their brother. They wanted, you know, And so um, 100 games of one-on-one along with everything else, kids will go to open gym for an hour and a half. They'll play, whatever, 15 games. And some kids will take four shots. So you, know, you have to play one-on-one just to get the repetition of knowing how to score against somebody and how to stop somebody. And so I reminded Brady about that a lot this last couple summers that his kids needed to play more one-on-one because ultimately the game just comes down to that. But that was part of it. So May 1st, they got their notebooks, they had 90 days. And so it just taught kids, if you want to get 40,000 shots in, you got 90 days to do it. You can divide it up and you can see how, kind of how it maps out. You take some days off here and there or whatever. So it was challenging, but I think what it did for our kids It gave him a level of confidence. Basketball is a game of repetition. If Adam shoots 40,000 shots and Dave shoots 5,000 shots, Adam's going to be a better shooter. That's the way it is. And so... You know, kids that want to be great shooters, you know, you you, you got to put up shots and there's a lot. You know, but then you, you know the great ones that want to want to get better and they want to add something to their game every year. So then we would help them with their notebooks. And our off season, uh was challenging. I think Kennedy, we calculated between her when she started in, in grade school with her gym rat clubs through her senior year. You know, she shot over a million shots in her gym rat club. And um, we've got a poster with her hitting that last shot at the Schottenstein at the state semifinals. And the title at the top says, would you shoot a million shots to make this one? And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a sacrifice. Um, but with the gun these days, I mean, you can shoot 500 shots in 30 minutes. So it's, it's, it's not a matter of um, you can't do it. It's just, you know, make it a priority.
3: So, Coach, we can't have you on and not talk about the classic in the country you know, one of the best high school basketball showcase events in the entire country. Um, So every MLK weekend, some of the best teams and players from Ohio and beyond uh, come to Highland and compete at the Perry Reese Center. Uh, This coming January will be the 21st year of the event. If you can, just take us behind the curtain a little bit. Maybe the the genesis of of that event, you know, the role you played, and maybe any advice to coaches looking to host similar events, I I guess, as long as they're not MLK weekend.
0: Yeah. Hey, that's fine. uh... Tom Jenkins and myself um you know sat down 22 23 years ago and had this idea that the good programs were always fighting to find quality games and um and we were one of those programs you know yeah you know, and so we said hey why don't we come up with something middle of the year and and so so number one it was we wanted to create competition for the best teams in the state to come together number two you know we wanted to create a venue for girls basketball that was like no other that would give our kids you know opportunity to be seen by you know, the best colleges in the country. And then number three, Tom lived in Berlin, moved from Cincinnati. He loved this area. He had a, a heart for um, you know, the African-American kid that was struggling. He, he loved the story of Coach Reese and really respected him. And so he said, hey, let's center around MLK weekend and Coach Reese, and let's honor them every single year. And so every year we would honor Coach Reese and, and Martin Luther King, whether it be cover the program, clips it, you know, at half times or whatever. And so because the goals were such in the right place, I think it just exploded. Yeah, you know, we said we want to have the best in-season girls basketball in the country, and, like, three years into it, we did. You know, we were getting 200 colleges, and, and – uh, everybody was talking about it, and and we had you know top ten USA Today teams, and and so it was um and what an environment. I mean, for us selfishly, I mean, it was like playing in a regional weekend. I mean, packed house, sellout crowds against two quality opponents who should absolutely beat you. And it was it, it, and for us in regionals, it was always if we were going to get to regionals, we had to play a Thursday Saturday, so it was perfect. We were playing a Saturday Monday, we had one day prep in between. And we used to talk about it all the time. Hey, this is, this is regional final weekend, and this is our op. And so, we got so our kids got such an advantage of playing in that atmosphere and that level of competition. And I mean, we lost a lot of games in the classic, but it was exactly what we always needed.
3: Okay, Dave, now we'd like to transition to a segment that we call Triple Threat. We're going to give you three topics and let you share thoughts, experiences, maybe the first thing that pops in your head with our listeners. Are you ready? Sure. All right, number one, stats that matter the most.
0: So there's a poster in our locker room, and I know we were going to ask this, so that's good. I'm glad you did. We have a poster in our locker room that says the biggest play in basketball is the offensive rebound. And like we might be the only program in the state that thinks that. I don't know. But we truly, 100% believe that that's the most important play in basketball, both mentally and physically. You know, Mentally, you, you're d in up. You work like crazy. You got an unbelievable possession. A kid shoots a brick, and they run down the offensive rebound. I mean, it's just, it's just constantly demoralizing. So if we statted that like crazy, and it was what we tracked even in practice. When we do film work, the number one thing we look for, shot goes up, balls barely released out of the hand, we are watching our kids technique we teach like that offensive lineman swim move like getting you know, coach huggins he demanded that we have two people backside rebound every single time you know so we're a little different we're, we're sending our point guards getting back but we're sending everybody all the time and we absolutely out rebounded people 99 percent of the time and so if we shot bricks we'd run them down if we um it was you know how do you get more possessions in a game you either you either have less turnovers or you have more offensive rebounds, and so my my greatest teams always just killed people on the offensive glass. You know Zoe Miller, my last year senior post player, player of the year. She was the best we ever had. I mean she she had many 17, 18, 19 rebound games. It's technique, it's it, it's it's anticipation, and then it's just desire. And um, yeah, I told we told kids all the time. I mean you don't have to be able to shoot, but if you, you know, we had a kid named Kendra Scheller couldn't shoot a layup of her life dependent on it was phenomenal because she couldn't wait till people shot the basketball to go get a rebound. So I'm preaching here because we are a huge believer, offensive rebounding, biggest play in basketball.
3: So, Coach, I've always believed the, the process of coaching is training and then trusting, you know, in practice, your workouts, your film sessions, your lifting sessions, your training for the next game. But then ball goes up in the air bright lights are on, you got to trust that they're going to follow the game plan and they know and execute. You know, one of the things that always impressed me watching you coaching the sideline was your demeanor. You were always, I don't know what was going on upstairs, but it always seemed like so calm. And that level of trust was where, was there to where your, your team knew the game plan and they knew how to execute. Talk to us about how that came to be.
0: I guess I'll, I'll tell you what we told our kids before the games. And that was if you've truly given all you can, I mean, and we really felt like we did, like we worked all summer long. We we gave an incredible effort for many, many years. And then you just have to let the process, you know, work itself through. And so for us, it was, we really tried to get our kids to believe that they were invincible. And, um, you know, even though kids knew their role, like like we, we would go over kids' roles with them, who could, you know, what your range was, you know, so forth. But we've told them a lot that if you think you can make a shot, then I think you could make a shot, and so we just got them. And like I never once—I don't want to say never once—I don't ever remember yelling at a kid for taking a shot. I mean, obviously, not knowing the time and score, and that's things that we go over and watch tape and so forth. So that's up. But but man, you know, we we wanted kids to know that they had the freedom, you know, to go make a play and um, you don't want robots out there you want kids that can have confidence and, and I, I i felt very confident all the time for what with, with what what we had done and at that point in time it was just time to let them go play and make adjustments you know that's where you got a staff that can sit there and tap you on the shoulder and say dave it's time to get out of this but no we uh we
2: definitely believed in our kids okay coach number three having productive basketball film sessions
0: once again people may be surprised I me mean, so this takes effort it got a lot easier with huddle now kuz he would he'd clip he is funny because he would clip an opponent and i look at it at midnight and it'd be like 37 clips on there and then i text kuz i'm like no more than 20 you know and so you know just you know and and we would start a lot of times like for an opponent for a tournament we would start out we might have 30 40 50 clips on our, our huddle reel ready to go but then we would keep going through and we would keep taking some stuff out. Cause same thing. I just wanted them to know the most important things when we were talking about opponents. And so you know, early in the year, film sessions were all about us. Like we would just call out kids and, and we'd always say, this isn't to embarrass you, but your buddy just took a shot. You're staying on the three point line. You didn't move. So that's unacceptable. If you want to play for us this year, you're going to have to go rebound in that scenario. And so, and then we would just call kids out constantly every scrimmage first few games. Like, so early in the year, and it was, you know, and I would tell them all the time, you know, this isn't to embarrass you, but you tell me you want to win the league and you want to play in, in the state finals, I'm holding us, I'm going to hold us accountable. So what you permit is what you promote. If you're permitting kids to, you, you, we want to get run out layoffs by our post players. Well, we watch film, and our, you know, we've outlet it to our our point guard, and our post player still isn't even at half court. Well, if we're permitting that, that's actually what we're promoting. So, so we shouldn't pretend that we want to be a running team. You know, that's really important to use film early in the season. I think for yourself, and then you can use it later on to keep them accountable for as you're watching it. But then I think later on, shorter film sessions are the best. I think you're gonna lose kids. If it's too long, we usually try and start with something positive and then maybe hit them with, uh, you know, things that are a little more, you know, even early in the year, we'll still try and find some very positive things to throw out there, but you're going to, I tell Brady this all the time, you're going to get really, really good at whatever you think is most important. You can't be great at everything, so what do you think is the most important thing? If it's rebounding, be, don't ever relinquish on that. And then if it's, you know, where you want certain people to be and certain things, you know, if you want them to show up on time for practice and be there 20 minutes early, then you got to constantly keep that standard
2: high. So, Coach, we have one more question for you. But before we get to that, thank you for coming on the show tonight and spending some time with us on the Holding Court podcast. I have known you for quite some time and, and have a tremendous amount of respect for you and uh, the program that you've built at Highland. So, Coach, 29 league and sectional championships, 19 district championships. 16 regional championships and six state titles named coach of the year in the league 20 times district coach of the year 16 times state coach of the year five times you were named nfhs coach of the year twice in 2000 and 2018 in 2012 you were named the national high school coaches association coach of the year you've even had the opportunity to coach in the mcdonald's high school all-american game in 2010. There's no doubt you're one of the most decorated coaches in Ohio high school basketball history, boys or girls. You've had a remarkable, memorable career. Is it safe to assume, though, that having the opportunity to coach alongside your son, Brady, ranks up there close to the top when you think about the highlights of your coaching career? For our listeners who might not know, and you've alluded to it a couple times here throughout the podcast, but you serve as an assistant coach now on your son's Brady staff at Highland. Coach, just your thoughts on what it means to you to be coaching alongside your son now and talk about a few things that you've learned from Brady here these past couple years serving as his assistant.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the most enjoyable years I've ever had coaching. I loved every second of it. I mean, uh, get to do something like that with your son, watch him really flourish in a role that I really feel like he he was meant for. He's so positive, so energetic. I think he did ten times the job with last year's team that I would have. You know, it was he's patient, encouraging. He's but he also understands what it takes to win. You know, um, effort and and just you know commitment level and so forth. So I, I'm excited for him. He's got a great staff. Like I said, there's now he's got three former players of mine along with Michaela Pool from Carrollton, who's another great player. So he's got a phenomenal staff, and he's doing the same thing I did. That's surrounding himself with people that think like him that are are great people who care about kids. He's got a good group. He's got a challenge right now with with uh, with numbers, but he, he understands that and you know what he can do and what he can't do. So forever long, he decides to do this coaching thing. I think he's going to do very well. The kids love him. He's got. A tremendous amount of enthusiasm coming in the grade school and junior high and i think that's because of him you know he's, he's that kind of infectious kind of guy and, and um, i'm going to be taking another you know, little step back further now maybe first row in the bleachers or the but I've, I've loved every every minute of it and i know mark's you know really helped mentor him as well so he's in a really good place
1: Thanks for listening to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with us on Twitter and Facebook at Ohio BK Coaches, on Instagram at OHSBCA1947, and online at www.oh.nhsbca.org. Until next time.